Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. <laughs> Ask the Dean, episode 52. <laughs> Did you know, we, we are in front of a live studio audience this week. Um, that- Vaxed and masked. <laughs> What'd you say? I said vaxxed and masked. Oh, vaxxed and masked. Yes, vaxxed and masked. Um, 52 episodes of Acidine. Phenomenal. Yep. Rachel Grubbs, co-founder of MAPT, MCAT expert extraordinaire, pre-med expert extraordinaire. How are you doing, my friend? I'm great. This is such a big week. There's so much going on. Like what? Well... (laughs) After Ask the Dean, your book is getting released this week in contention to be a bestseller. Friends, if you like Ryan Gray, buy his book. It's a good book. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if you personally knew a bestselling author? Um, Wednesday, Inside Med Admissions. Thursday, AMCAS opens for submission and the West Coast Health um, Student Fair is happening. Friday, the really big one. National Pre-Med Day. National it's a big week. It is, a, big it is week. a busy, big week. I'm excited. So many awesome things, almost all of them for free. Um, trying to spread the knowledge, spread the wealth of, of uh, Dr. Scott Wright. That's what we're trying to spread the knowledge. <laughs> of uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, we finally got a little sunshine here in Austin. Uh, it's, it's been raining for three years straight. So, <laughs> at least it's not the frozen tundra anymore. <laughs> well, that's true. Snowmageddon has gone away. So. Yes. Yes. I was watching the NASCAR race yesterday, which was in Austin for the first time ever. Yes. And uh, they were racing in the rain, which is yeah. not a typical NASCAR thing, but no. it was fun to see. But it rained all day yesterday, and then it rained all night last night. Uh, so we're feeling a little bit waterlogged. Yes. But it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. um, let's answer some questions, yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes so yes. the first question here, many secondary applications ask about moments of failure and per- personal hardships I've had to overcome. I had a failed application attempt back in 2017 with a very bad MCAT, and I have had issues with mental health. What are your feelings on discussing these? I know mental health can still be stigmatized even in the world of medicine. Thank you for always giving such great advice. 
So Scott, my personal advice when I talk to students, questions on an application, secondary essay, um, or in an interview, when it's like, hey, tell me about a time you failed. I tell students, as best as you can, stay away from academics, stay away from the MCAT, stay away from applications. Because failing in the academic world isn't like, yeah, it's a failure. We feel bad. But it's really not the type of failure and lessons learned that people are looking for. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, you know, what they're what they're really wanting to see is have you faced hardship and difficulty or failure in your life in, in, in general terms? And, and I think I, I like the idea of uh, talking about something, you know, maybe it's a family situation or maybe it's, you know, I had a student recently who had a very good friend commit suicide. And uh, so he talked about that in the context of his um, his uh, application and secondaries and stuff. And so, you know, not that ev- not that everybody's going to have something as enormous as her best friend doing that mm-hmm. uh, or, or dying somehow. Um, but you know, that's the kind of uh, of difficulties that you know I think are very instructive. And when you reflect on those, there's there's a huge amount of meaning that can really be uh, brought brought forward uh, to your reader and so now the I'm interested Ryan in your take on the the second part of the question in terms of mental health issues Mm -hmm. Um, I I do agree that this can be a touchy kind of situation and uh, and I think that the you know my feeling is that um, you know you have to be very careful uh, on uh, t- speaking about mental health because it it can it can you know mental health issues are disabilities particularly if, if the student is still dealing with some that or you know if they're if they're managing them correctly but they they are considered disabilities and mm-hmm. so you don't want to open up sort of a can of worms talking about a disability when you don't need to yeah. um, so what's your what is your thought about talking about mental health issues? I typically tell students, uh, just in general, broad terms, you never want to give the admissions committee a reason to reject you. Yeah, right. You, yeah. you don't want to be too open of a book, and you need to be truthful and honest and feel comfortable with with telling your story. And if mm-hmm. it's a big part of your story, it's a big reason why you're pursuing medicine. Go for it as long as you understand that there are some potential consequences and, and maybe knowing that do you, and I hate to say this because this, these are people's lives and their, their stories and their struggles and what they're doing, but maybe tone it down a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Just to potentially not give concern to this person reviewing your application going, well, if you struggled previously, medical school is going to be a whole nother level. And Am I going to have concerns, number one, about your personal safety, personal health, getting through this? And number two, am I going to be concerned about you as a student getting through? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd, I typically try to have students try to avoid those types of concerns while also acknowledging that you have to tell your story and be comfortable with that. And, and some students just need to say, I, I have to be honest with who I am and what I've struggled yeah. with. And yeah. That's my story. Yeah. Yeah. I had a student uh, recently who had, had struggled with their sexuality and, uh, and brought that up in the, in the, uh, in the essay, Mm -hmm. but it was almost like an aside. And 
didn't address it, didn't go any further into it. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you drop this bomb and then you don't do anything with it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I communicated that to the students and, and I, I think, you know, it, it, it was a, a difficult thing for him to kind of deal with. But generally speaking, I think don't drop a bomb and then do anything. Do nothing with it if you're gonna you know if you're gonna not that not that that's necessarily a bomb but that's a big issue it was clearly a big issue to the student you know yeah. his coming out experience and stuff like that yeah. but um but you know if you're not going to go into it fully or, yeah. or in, a, in a pretty decent way then don't go there at all mm-hmm. yeah was it a ah, I, I won't even follow up question that um because it's a, a whole rabbit hole okay yeah i mean i think like you said without getting into too many details in any one particular you know whether it's the disability or the question of how you identify where i often land is have you turned your pain into power yeah you know and i mean everyone's mileage may vary right Mm -hmm. i will speak personally the traumas that i've experienced in the past I needed a lot of years to get that kind of perspective, right? So if it's fresh, am I talking about it with friends and family and my therapist? Heck yeah, I am. Um, Am I documented in an essay? Well, no, probably not. Because to me, an essay is like, this has reached some sort of resolution. Um, And if if I'm not sure I'm there, then I'm just probably not going to touch on it. But but yeah, this is not not to shame in any way. Like like Brian said, you tell your story however you right. feel like you need to tell it. We're just That's saying right. proceed with caution. Make yeah. sure that you're still keeping the focus, you know, especially if you're talking about in your personal statement mm-hmm. on why medicine. Right. And yeah, and I think that, you know, if you're if you're dealing with this in the context of a question on a secondary application where mm-hmm. you can spend the entire response talking about the issue, then that's one thing. It's a whole nother thing when you when you just drop it as one sentence in an essay in the personal statement. And then you just leave it without any kind of resolution or any kind of reflection at all. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, again, to reiterate what we're all saying is just uh, be aware, be careful and, uh, and very reflective and uh, be cognizant of, um, you know, who's reading and, and what their, um, what their responsibility is. And like Ryan said, don't give them a reason to raise a red flag. Yep. Second one here. Suppose we submit our primary app before six one to get verified. And then we take the MCAT at the end of June. Wouldn't we be behind on secondaries for all other schools? We will later add after receiving our MCAT score at the end of July. The answer for most schools is no, because most no. schools don't screen for secondaries. Right. They'll go, oh, Johnny's applying to us. Here's your secondary. Yeah. 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 And, and some schools, you know, they don't even send it to you. They expect you to go to their website, log in, do everything to connect it with the AMCAS application and do it. And so, yeah, I agree with that completely. Um, it, I don't think this is a problem. Yeah. I, I typically tell students, if you're going to do this, which is perfectly fine, between when you take the MCAT and when you get that score back, write the, the secondary essays as if you 
have applied to those schools so that when you do add those schools and you get those secondaries, you can turn them around within a day. Real quick. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. It's all a game. Yep. (laughs) I agree. All right. Now we're ready for some questions that are typed in. Over the course of my medical clinical experiences, I always felt that I wanted more autonomy like a physician would have. Would explaining this in my personal statement be viewed as negative towards other health professions? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I don't think so. I, I see this a lot in personal statements is where they're talking about they want to be, you know, uh, uh, they want to have autonomy. They want to have um, the responsibility of the patient in their hands and, and they want to be the leader of the healthcare team. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that necessarily addresses, you know, suggests that, that other healthcare workers or providers are, you know, not as good or whatever. They have their role, just like the physician has their role. So I don't see it as as problematic. And I've never uh, felt like it was disparaging to other healthcare providers. So I'll take a different angle on this. I, I think there's a difference between autonomy and wanting to do more, right? I, I think I, I would I would argue that Physicians a lot of times don't have autonomy to do a lot of what they want to do. They're beholden to uh, insurance companies and they're right. beholden to whatever their practice regulation, whatever, whatever. Right. Um, and, and obviously, yes, as a physician, you typically are considered to have more autonomy than other advanced practice providers like PAs and NPs, although that's changing in a lot of areas, mm-hmm. fortunately and unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a lot of, of push for PAs and MPs to be independent, autonomous practitioners. And I personally don't agree with that. And uh, they, they don't have the training to do what doctors do. Um, they have a specific role in, in healthcare and they're very important. Um, but that, that's a side tangent. I, I think autonomy in, in this language, I think is a naive word. I think having the expertise to practice to like a fullest extent is maybe the language they're thinking of and they're using autonomy in place of that. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I see autonomy not as frequently used as responsibility. Yeah. I want to have, you know, more responsibility is, yeah. is the way I, I see it phrased yeah. typically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. That's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And autonomy potentially can come across like, I want to be the boss. Nobody can tell me what to do. Right. I'm not good with working in a team because I don't want to listen to anyone else. Right. I, I think that word conjures up too many negatives for me that I would avoid that specific word and, and focus on, well, what does that, what does that mean to you? And focus on the meaning behind that. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is those things in which case, uh, yeah, <laughs> red flag. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Well, cause in the business world, often autonomy is used in a, like your manager doesn't have to manage you yeah. much. So we I'm like you way. Yeah. Right. But, but yeah, set aside the corporate BS where they're just trying to, squeeze every ounce of your life out of you (laughs) and in the rest of the world autonomy literally just means self-governing right and right to your point ryan no one really in the working world is self-governing because we're all on a team everyone is beholden to someone else yeah 
All right. I'm having a difficult time making a school list. My stats pretty much fall in at least the 10th percentiles at all schools. I don't care about location and looking at the mission statements and curriculums. Every school seems amazing. Aside from schools that do not accept out-of-state applicants, how can I narrow down my list to only 25? Good so, problem to have. Yeah. So yeah, pre, right. Premediators.com slash 437 is how to build the ultimate med school list that I did with our good friend, Joanne Snap. Um, we talked all about all the different parts of how to look at building a school list, which did not include using the U.S. News and World Reports. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of moving pieces. Uh, I, would, I would say that probably their biggest reason for why they're struggling is because they're saying they don't care about location. Mm-hmm. I think they, they're kidding themselves and they really need to think about it. Like if you're from Southern California, do you really want to go to medical school in Buffalo? Yeah. Where it's going to be 10 feet of snow <laughs> six months out of the year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Snow. Um, what do you call that? The lake effect snow. Yeah. And you know, I, the, the other thing that strikes me about the location thing is some schools, you know, most schools are in larger cities, but there are some schools that are in smaller communities or suburban areas. And so I, I wonder if, if the questioner is from a, you know, large city uh, like LA, let's say, for example, do they really want to go to rural Tennessee to go to medical school? Uh, we know this fellow and he told us, or they, the person, I can't remember, but I think they've lived a lot of places. Uh, so that might be part of it. Could be. Like, got got the spirit of an itinerant. <laughs> I understand that. All right, I put the banner up so you guys can see episode yeah. four thirty seven pre med years. Excellent. All right. I am starting as a medical scribe soon and am very excited. Any tips for how to get the most out of my experience, how to communicate with providers, what questions to ask, et cetera? Oh, good question. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one, learn medical terminology as soon as you can. That's yep. a, obviously a huge part of being a medical scribe is being able to convert uh, and or not convert, but just listen to everything the doctor is saying and understand what they're saying. Most scribe positions will have onboarding and training and all of that fun stuff. So you're you're going to just be like a sponge and be uh, absorb it all. Uh, that's that's really the number one thing. It's just mm-hmm. be a good uh, be a good student. Mm-hmm. Be someone who is teachable and mm-hmm. don't go in thinking you understand it all. Right. Yeah, and I think too. Uh, you know, we've talked about this on on this broadcast before, Ryan. That that there are some scribe jobs there are some providers physicians and other providers who are going to take you and and show you things and allow you more sort of interaction with what's going on in the room others are going to be just like take you take notes over there in the corner and that's all you do and so but i think uh relative to what they should do to make it a a great experience is let you know, particularly when you start connecting with some providers, ask questions and, uh, 
you know, say, hey, can I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my job, but I'm also really interested in what you're doing, you know, or whatever. And just let them know that, you know, that you're um, interested and, and ask questions and, and really, uh, um, you know, put yourself out there a little bit. You may get, you know, no, that's not your job, but I think yeah. you have to be willing to put yourself out there. Yeah. So some physicians won't like that. Some physicians will love it. And mm -hmm. just because the first physician you ever scribed for shot you down and wanted you to be silent, doesn't mean you shouldn't try it with the next one. Right. That's exactly right. Dr. Wright, did you or anyone on your adcom ever feel conflicted in wanting to admit someone because of something on their application, low GPA and or MCAT, for example, was anyone in the situation accepted and either proved the adcom right or wrong in their initial concerns? Um, yeah, I mean, most admissions committees, certainly in my experience, there's a lot of conversation that goes on. Now, uh, about a particular applicant. Now, honestly, when you get right down to it, when when these schools are interviewing, you know, they're getting thousands of applications. They're interviewing, let's say, maybe a thousand applicants, perhaps even more over the course of the entire process. You can't spend a whole lot of time discussing in the admissions committee each applicant. I mean, we're not talking every applicant gets 20, 30, 40 minutes. That just doesn't happen. You don't, logistically, you can't manage a process that way <clears throat> with busy admissions committee members and, and, uh, and stuff like that who are faculty members and you know, have their own life and, and, and work going on. But what I would say is, uh, yes, that, that sometimes there are committee members who will express concern about one particular aspect of a of a of a uh, application. Uh, it gets discussed quite a bit. Um, I would say, in my experience, uh, we always tried to reach consensus on applicants. Uh, we were never uh, comfortable if there was one committee member or even a subset of com committee members who were very concerned. Uh, I would say in, in most cases when there were, were where there was a, a, that level of concern that was expressed, we would either table uh, that applicant, come back to it in, on another day when there were, when, when we could, for example, assign that applicant to another committee member to review, uh, to get a different perspective on it, um, but uh, we, we, you know, we worked with consist uh, with uh, consensus, generally speaking, and so, uh, so I don't, I do not think when there was a, a great deal of concern from a subset of committee members that that student would have been admitted. Um, and, and generally speaking, we would, we would not have done that. Mm. When writing my personal statement, is it essential to have a, quote, flow or transitional point from one experience to another? Scott, what do you think about that? Is it essential to have? Well, I think flow is important in, in an essay for readability. Uh, mm -hmm. I think when you, when you have hard transitions from one thing to another. Uh, now, having said that, flow can, can be as simple as, as, as one word. 
mm-hmm. uh, one transition word can can provide flow. It doesn't have to be a whole sentence. It doesn't have to be, you know, a long thing. Especially if you're work, if you're running up against um, character limits and stuff like that. Then I think you know the word also or the word however or the world uh, uh, or a phrase even though or you know there's a lot of different ways to to do transitions where you don't have to spend a whole sentence, you know, a lot of characters to do it. I think you can easily do it uh, with just a little bit of, uh, a little bit of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest mistake is too much transition. Mm-hmm. And like, right. Why are you telling me all this information? Yes. This yes. Your biography here. It's, yeah. That's not um, your point. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then no transition at all. And, and right. I, I sit back, I'm like, where am I? When am I? Yeah. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I find sometimes you can get transition just by sequencing the sentences in your paragraph in such mm-hmm. a way mm-hmm. that the last sentence leads of one paragraph leads pretty naturally into the, the first. Next. Yeah. 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 I mean, it just depends on what you're communicating and how you're communicating it. Yeah. I got, I got one essay recently. It was 5,200 and some odd characters, no paragraphs. It was all one big long paragraph. <laughs> I was like, whoa, this is not going to work. Uh, I mean, that's absolutely how I think. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when I write, like, I try to find some breaks. Yeah, I can't, I can't do this. So we got to, we got to go back, give me some paragraphs to, to help my brain get around this. <laughs> yeah. I guess Ryan, you and I were talking about that a little bit offline. I think sometimes applicants forget like ad comes want to do right by you, but also they're tired and they have yeah. a lot of people. That's right. right. Like you want to make yourself real readable for yes, them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the other big mistake kind of along those same lines is students that, that whip out the thesaurus. Oh, when I hate that. Yes. Statement. Yes. You don't need to prove that you're smart and you know how to use a thesaurus and you have a big vocabulary. Yeah. New York times writes to an eighth grade level. Yeah. Um, and the the easier it is to read, the faster they're going to be able to get through it and understand it and read it and connect with you. Yeah, yeah. If you and the, the other thing too is is if you get you know sometimes I get these run on sentences that are so long and complex that you I read it three times before I get the gist of what they're trying to say. Yeah. And uh, and you know admissions committees they're not going to do that. They're going to just skip over that. You know, they're not even going to think about that. They're not going to read over it, you know, two or three times. Right. So just break those sentences up. If they're, if they're more than two lines long, that's too long, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Yeah. Some conditional clause in there should have been its own sentence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what the yeah. heck is a conditional clause? <laughs> uh, you know how I talk when I'm talking about a thing and then I pause and I talk about another thing and then I keep going and I come back and somewhere in there was a conditional clause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would it be frowned upon to leave a non-clinical career for an MA position? I assume the specialty of the clinic doesn't matter either. We get this question every, every couple of weeks, but... Mm. Like why why would it be frowned upon? Yeah, I don't get that. Yeah, it would not be frowned upon. I, I think it'd be a great, you know, MAs. Th- those that's great experience there. If you're an MA in a in a in a nice clinic and you get the opportunity to really connect with the with the providers there, I mean, you can get some awesome experiences. Yep. 
Okay, so I'm going to skip this next one because it's super long, but I wrote that person to let them know if they can crunch it down, we'll take it back. We'll go back to them. I know that you all don't believe that we should place any emphasis on school prestige, but for a non-traditional student pursuing their first degree, should we go to the best school possible? For example, I'm a California resident. Should I aim for UC instead of the Cal State system? <laughs> so basically the question is, I know you don't believe in prestige, but should I worry about prestige? Yeah, and the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> it is really funny how there is such, um, I mean, they're both state systems, but yep. there's such mm -hmm. a weird competition between the university state system and yeah. the Cal State system. Cal, yeah. Cal State is definitely the redheaded stepchild of yeah. the state schools in California. And I don't know why that started or how it started or what, but it'd be interesting to see the history behind that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, question asker, no, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. If you want a prestige lover, you got to ask someone else. <laughs> Is being a caregiver for elderly individuals viewed as equal clinical experience to being a scribe or EMT, for example? 100% of my job is patient interaction. Sounds pretty good to me. Yep, yep. I mean, I think, you know, you're learning different things than you would learn as a scribe or an EMT, but, um, and you're having different experiences, but I, I don't think um, the admissions committee certainly not going to view it as one being necessarily better than the other or whatever. I think they're, they're, they're really looking for that patient interaction. And more importantly, the uh, takeaway from. Yeah. The, the, the reflection, the meaning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get questions that look like this a lot. And I think sometimes there, there's someone out there spreading this weird misconception that if it's not in a clinic, it's not clinical. Like, oh, you're in a senior's home? That's not clinical. Yeah, if 100% of your job is patient interaction. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's clinical. Um, that's great. Does it really matter what your three most meaningful experiences are? I'm trying to decide whether to put being a TA or being a coach for my last one. I have good stories for both. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I think you choose what, I mean, I think students try to overthink this a lot and they, they, they're, they're, they're looking at, well, maybe I need to have one clinical and one <laughs> non-clinical and one this. And, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, they try to manipulate it so that it sounds mm -hmm. best and they're going to get the best reaction from the admissions committee or whatever. Um, I, to me, you just choose where the meaning was and uh, if something was most meaningful. So in, in, in this trying to decide whether to put a TA or a coach, you know, I, I go with your heart. What was what your heart telling you? Uh, what yep. your, what your um, intuition say is, is the, is the right way to go for it for you. And then, and then do that and don't overthink it. <laughs> telling a pre-med not to overthink <laughs> is, is uh, I'm not even gonna make a comparison. You just I know what I'm saying. <laughs> I know, I know. That's just how we're. That's how we're wired, Scott. It's just the way. I know. It is. I get it. I totally get it. I've been <laughs> I've been around the block enough times to know that. But I do think that even though that's true, it's still worth saying. Try not to overthink this issue. It is. It is. They need to hear that. Okay. I get. Yeah. I I tend to do that, and and so. <laughs> And then they go to Student Doctor Network and ah, yes. we're, 
again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. I take three credits of music classes as part of a scholarship I'm on. When calculating my hours for music, do I include hours and write about any experiences within those three classes or only outside of those classes? I've had some very meaningful experiences with my string quartet. Okay, I'm not clear on what we're saying here. I think they're saying that something that they consider a meaningful experience is technically academic work. So it's like, can they count it as an activity? Can I, I would. They- yeah, I mean, I would. So do I put, do I include hours within those three classes or only outside of those classes? I would just do the outside class stuff. Because class is not extracurricular. Mm-hmm. But, you know, seemingly you're getting, I mean, this is a fine line here because if, if you're, if you're in a string quartet or yeah, string quartet and part of that, what that string quartet does is you're getting graded on like giving a concert or something like that you know, then th- there's a little bit of gray area there, but I, I definitely, and you know, I, 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 I do think that admissions committees are not going to, Oh, she put an academic thing on here. This, you know, <laughs> okay. There's one red flag. And so that's not, <laughs> liar. You're a yeah, liar. that's not how they, that's not how they work. I, you know, to me, I would love to know about your experiences with the string quartet. And I, I'd want to know what instrument you play and, you know, how, how you work together and how you really connect and, and feel the music. I'm, I'd, I'd be all over that as an interviewer. I'd want to know all about that. Concur. When applying, do I need to include a transcript for an EMT course that was not at a community college and has no credits or grades? I don't even think a transcript exists. Nope. RTFM. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite line. Read the manuals. Um, Yeah. The, the manuals will have all of the information you need on there and those yeah. kind of allied health type trainings. Mm-hmm. Um, if you did get grades and you do have a transcript, they go on there. Yep. If you don't. Yep. Even if it's a for-profit school or, you know, which is, you know, not unusual in health mm-hmm. professions for for-profit institutions, but those are indeed institutions and you, uh, you get a transcript and you put them on there. In this case, it doesn't sound like you would. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, vocational training doesn't always equate to right. transcript. Right. Okay. Kind of a specific question, but having to retake the MCAT in July, still applying this cycle, should I apply to all my schools or just submit one application on Thursday and wait until I get my score in August for the others? Really want to get into one of my state schools. So, yeah, this is what we were talking about earlier. This yeah. is the apply to one school game, which I was I was against when I first heard of this. I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, I understand why people do it. Yeah. Um, it. It works. It doesn't delay anything. It's it's less stressful, less financial impact. Right. Um, assuming uh, you don't get the score you want, you decide to not finish with the applications. So yeah, that's what students do. Again, yeah. with the idea that you write your secondaries as if you are applying to all of the schools. Yeah, agreed. So that you're ready. 
Yeah. I talk about that in my new book, the pre-med playbook guide to the medical school application process. Where can people buy that book? Oh, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Powell's books, your local bookstore, anywhere where books are sold. Cool. It, it might have USA Today bestseller on it. Maybe at some point. Half price. Why do you books. go out and buy it today and tomorrow? I <laughs> know. Uh, I think it's good for the week. It's, it's yeah, it's the week. It's all all pre-orders and first sales of the week. Yeah. Can I can I get it in the the uh, half price bin at my local bookstore? I, I'm kidding. That's a joke. I'm sure it'll be bestseller. <laughs> Don't pick that on Ryan it. about his book. He's feeling sensitive. <laughs> um, hi guys i got a letter of recommendation from a dean of a medical school hopefully not one like scott because it probably yeah right very much wait for <laughs> no <laughs> compassion there contribution to some research on COVID 19 this year i wanted to add this to my application but i'm not entirely sure how about how did how to go about it uh, mm-hmm. do you have any suggestions just add it add it to your list yeah. Yeah. I would just add it to, unless they're getting a committee letter or something and their school won't allow that in the packet, seemingly you could. You could still do separate and have yeah, do a letter, one. one individual letter. Mm-hmm. Let the medical schools do what Cash they want with it. it. Yeah. Yeah. That seems too cool to pass by. No, I agree. Okay. Wait. <laughs> I would say, well, instead of wasting your time writing a letter of recommendation, you could just accept me to your school. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Working at a mental health detox facility, I'm doing administrative, updating EHR and clinical work, initial screening, helping patients shower, when to intoxicated, taking vitals every two hours, administrating uh, blood alcohol, concentrations, urine drug tests, etc., the position is oftentimes held by MACNAs, EMTs, but I don't have those certs. It's not required. Is this still considered clinical? Heck yeah. Yeah, definitely. That sounds like hard work and meaningful yeah. work. It sounds like, wow. Thanks for doing it. Bless your heart. Those that's, people need that's you. amazing, yeah. To not that's be amazing. judged for you to make them feel like humans again. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll extend out the question too, because a lot of students in this situation will go, well, part of my job is admin work and part of my job is clinical. Do I have to separate the hours? Like, no, like Just, if the bulk yeah. of your job is clinical experience, don't worry about the admin side. Cause guess what? Doctors do admin work for the bulk of their time too. So it's yeah. Fine. yeah, I agree with that. Uh, this is not a question, but it's a charming comment. Exactly. <laughs> all right that is oh, so sorry. true <laughs> our, listening, our listening only people are going to be like what <laughs> comment was pre-meds should get a phd in overthinking yes right. it, it should be an an honorary degree bequeathed all right. on all people who get yeah when you get your first worry wrinkle on your forehead at 20 we just automatically give you the honorary phd <laughs> <laughs> I still need to get my Botox. Botox. Many secondary applications ask about moments of failure and personal hardships I've had to overcome. Oh, did we do this already? already. Yep. I think you reposted, friend. We already got you. (laughs) Uh, 
if you missed it, it was back at the beginning. What MCAT score is worthy of a reasoning? <laughs> I, I like that language. You are worthy of a retake. <laughs> a 505 uh, is a 505 competitive with a 38 GPA. Oh, the lovely balancing equation. Yeah. Well, I, I would say it depends a little bit on what they were doing on practice exams. You know what, how they were scoring on practice exams, and if that five hundred five was seemingly a lot lower than their practice exams were showing, then I, I think that might be warranted. Um, in terms of five hundred five, is not a great score. So I mean, it's not awful, but it's not going to be necessarily competitive at, at a lot of schools, depending on the the mix of the everything else in the application. Um, not, not everything is about MCAT and GPA, but, um, so I, I'd, I'd probably, my advice would be to examine wh why you think you made a 505. Did you expect higher? Why did you expect higher? I mean, Rachel, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, you're getting right at, right at it. I mean, I guess the question the student is asking is, are these numbers okay? And we're, we're going to decline to answer that, right? Because we know that that's not the way the ad comms are going to look at you. They're right. not going to just look at the numbers. So we, we can't, won't answer that question. But if you want to know specifically about whether or not you need to retake a 505, then the question goes back to how many practice tests did you take? What were your scores on practice tests? Were you taking your practice tests in realistic ways, right? So if you were always getting 513 plus, but you were also taking the exams, um, untimed in your PJs, well, then those were false numbers from the first place, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But if you were doing time conditions, sitting up straight, fully clothed, you know, like if you were doing exams like the real thing and getting better scores, then, then something might've been off on test day. Um, mm -hmm. And only you were going to know. Yep. Oh, another MCAT one. How much do you usually see MCAT scores vary from practice exams? Is it common to see a five-point increase or decrease? Yep. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, there's no rubric um, because a lot of it depends on what's happening between the exams. Um, I think some students, and I'm not accusing you of this question asker, I'm just talking generally. Some students think that taking an exam is almost like taking a temperature. Like, what's that number? Okay. Like, you got to do something with the data, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, same with the temperature, right? You don't just expect the fever to go down magically. Um, right. So, uh, if you are taking exams earlier in your prep before you've mastered all your content, you could be getting wild fluctuations in the score because different exams cover different segments of the possible topics, right? There's like, I don't remember the exact numbers anymore, but maybe 500 plus possible topics that are in the MCAT, but you're only going to get 60 or 70 of them. So if the luck of the draw of the practice exam you took or the real exam even that you took that day happened to be topics that you are awesome at, or 
less awesome ad that could impact the score. Um, if you've done all your content review and you're still seeing those kinds of fluctuations, then I'm going to start to worry about either how well you retained the review. Like, did you really figure out how to move it from long-term to working memory and like you've got that good recall going on. And then I'm also going to start wondering about your ability to problem solve and read, um, which again are fixable things, but yet yeah, it's common to see that kind of fluctuation because there's so many different things that go into a score. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, oh, good. when you first started saying it really depends on what happens between, I, I, I was thinking in my head between your ears, right? <laughs> what happens in your head, the anxiety around yes, the absolutely. stuff just yep. takes over. Yep. Yeah, That's I get into the, the mental health stuff almost every time. So I was like, I'll let it go this time, but also <laughs> all of that. Yeah. And That's I mean, the, even what you ate, right? Mm-hmm, you know, was yeah. your breakfast cornflakes or did you have some protein? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Routine, Not that cornflakes are horrible. Routine. I'm just saying, put something with it. <laughs> <laughs> or intermittent fasting and don't eat breakfast, if that's your style. Yeah, well, whatever works for Stick you with your what body. You do. <laughs> do what you need to do to have your mess, best mental day. By yeah. now, you probably know what that is. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh. I just pre-ordered your new book. Oh, you mean this one? The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Application Process? Um, In time to receive the PDF copies of your previous books as well. Great deal. Do you recommend reading the others too? Or is your new one supposed to cover that material as an all-in-one book? Uh, Yes and no. Um, The new book is an all-in-one. And the other books go further into Mm. a little bit more depth and lots more examples. Mm. Cool. So, yep. I'm starting research this month and we'll be doing it until I hopefully go to medical school next year. I know what research I will be doing and what it entails, but we'll not be getting into the bulk of it until this summer. Can I still put it on my application? I think so. Yeah, the, the general rule of thumb that we talk about here is don't put it on your application if you haven't done it yet. If, if you're submitting your application May 27th and you're starting your research June 10th, like it doesn't matter. Oh, when you're right. 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 Except for TMDSAS, yeah. which where you can do the activity. future stuff, right? Which yeah. is awesome. Yep. But it sounds like this student is doing it, just not the fully core right. nitty gritty stuff yet. Right. Is the intention to apply for HPSP something that should be mentioned in the med school app process or something to be avoided? I'm curious as to whether the HPSP mentioned may discourage schools from offering merit scholarships if I was to be offered any. Uh, I don't see any reason why you should mention HPSP in a medical school application. It's just there's nowhere. It's like, are you yeah. planning on joining the military? Like that question's not asked. Why yeah. would you put it in there? Yeah, it'd be awkward to bring it up just routinely or something. Yep. I agree. How should I categorize courses taken from a post-bac medical lab science program on AMCAS? They weren't undergrad courses, but I also didn't get a graduate degree from it. That's a good question. <laughs> uh, it sounds like it depends. Were they graduate courses? Or were they undergraduate courses? Yeah, they'd have to be one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to get a graduate degree to take graduate classes. Right. 
I, I, it sounds like they're undergrad classes to me. If I, if I had to guess, I would say they're undergrad classes, but you need to investigate that with your institution. Yeah, I mean, cla- there is a post-bac class standing. So you, if you're talking about class standing categorized, it, it's your post-bac. Right. But yeah, if you're just talking about was this undergrad or grad, they say this wasn't undergrad courses. So I think it was that graduate. graduate course post-bac class standing. Well, class, it would just be graduate, graduate, graduate. Yeah, I wonder about that. It's okay, a so go stuff. read the AMCAS handbook because yours <laughs> is a weird case and we don't know off the top of yeah. our heads. Yeah, they specifically <laughs> said they're not undergrad courses, so they're graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, AMCAS, the post back on AMCAS is specifically undergraduate courses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Same with TMDSAS. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even though we kind of technically say, if you take graduate coursework, that's basically a post back, but technically for the, the application services, they're not post back mm-hmm. work if they're graduate level. Right. All right. Just got a notification during this live stream that my guide to the medical school application book, yeah. application process book is arriving tomorrow. Yay. That's awesome. <laughs> currently do lab and clinical research for two dermatologists would listing one doctor for each activity be best or is there a good way to list both there's only one spot on there for each activity so yeah there's no there's no need to list both no just you can list the same one for both yeah. doesn't matter because in in the uh description you know you could easily put the you have to, there's two dermatologists and whatever yeah Oh, sorry. I'm trying to reply to a student friends. Sometimes I just can't quite handle the multitasking fast enough. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, let's see. If you have an upward trend, but got a pass in the semester in one class, does that destroy or hinder your upward trend for medical school? So <laughs> very strong words. <laughs> does it yeah. <that> destroy? <laughs> it's like the death star blowing up. Here goes the upward trend. <laughs> It's funny because we've gotten a couple of these too, where they're like, I had an upper trend and then I got a C and I'm like, but did you have a 2.0 before and now you have a three, eight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, that's still an upper trend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think a P is going to destroy an upper trend or hinder. Nope. Yeah. Technically it doesn't affect it at all. No, nope. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> Is there a good way to list honors, awards, recognitions without coming across as bragging? It makes me a little uncomfortable. They are all mostly associated with a specific experience. Well, you need to get over that. <laughs> you need to get over the, the the lack of comfort you have because the entire application is selling yourself. I, mean, I know, Ryan, I don't think you like that. I don't like that language. Yeah, I know, but but you, you know, this is this is you're putting yourself out there, and you're telling an you're you're telling an admissions committee why should they accept you, and this is part of that, and so you need to. It's not going to come across as bragging. It's going to come across as this is what I received. This is this is what I did, and because I did that, I got this award. Yep. Yep. Um, from a language standpoint, uh, 
it's not bragging if you're just listing facts, mm-hmm. right? If you're using flowery adjectives, then maybe you're bragging, right? So if it's, you know, I worked so hard and it was the best ever, then like I'm, I'm less interested in what you have to say. Right. But if you, you know, entered a contest and placed third out of 400, that's amazing. Like yeah. the numbers tell me, you yeah. know. That's right. I'm starting hospice volunteering soon as was, and was wondering if companionship or doing activities with patients such as painting counts as clinical experience. So hospice is this weird kind of situation, right? Because hospice on its own doesn't really tell us what you did. Hospice is obviously a categorization of a patient who's typically considered to have less than six months to live. And those there, there are organizations that send volunteers to that person's house or into the hospital or wherever that may be. And a lot of times it is just companionship, just being there with people um, in their last remaining days. And mm-hmm. I have historically said hospice is clinical experience and don't really question, well, what exactly were you doing from nine o'clock to 10 o'clock? And nope, that's not clinical experience. Right. I don't know. But it's different <laughs> than going to the uh, nursing home and doing bingo night. Right. Right. I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, there's a real different feeling to it, isn't there? Mm. I just got my first shadowing gig with a neurosurgeon that starts this week and I'm super excited to learn more. All right. No question. The feedback has been incredibly helpful. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, 6.52 and the popcorn stopped popping. Well, I'm excited for Ryan for your book. I think it's going to be great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Fingers crossed. We'll find out in a week or so. If I hit. I hit the list. Mm-hmm. Um, not something I was expecting, but it's fun. Fun little phone call from the publisher. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. We shall see. So big week this week, guys. I hope yeah. to see you at Inside Med Admissions on Wednesday. Wednesday. Hope to see you at National Pre-Med Day Friday. If you're watching this on the replay, all that stuff will be available on YouTube also. Yep. Yes, it will. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you next week for a almost, almost public. It won't be a public one next week. In two weeks, it'll be public. Yeah. Ask the Dean. Yep. Happy, happy evening. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.